I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I come to church and I feel like I'm going to the movies. Because we come back in here and we sit down. Guy, I'm a little hot. Can you turn me down just a tad? We come back in here and we sit down and we just watch the show. We're just waiting to look and see what's going to happen. This week I was really convicted through a series of things. People I talked to, events I've been going to over the last couple months, men's retreat, take the city. I've been just convicted about church. And I don't want to just come, you know, I'm on staff, so I'm like required to be here. But you guys aren't, and it's a blessing, and I, and I'm, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I really do thank you, those of you who work full-time jobs, and then after you get off, you bring your whole family up here, and you continue to serve our church for hours. And you don't get paid for it. You do it because you love it. You do it because you love the Lord. You love this church. But I don't want to just come to church like I go to a movie. That's not what this is, you know. Like we got we got purpose here, man. You have purpose here. You can bring the house lights up, God. That was way up. I like it. Turn me down just a little bit more, please. You know, this morning, well, first of all, before we start, which one do you want? I got one about wisdom, okay, that I tried to preach last week, but that one didn't work. Or I got the new one that I wrote for this week. You tell me. The new one? Good, because I really was just going to choose the new one whether you chose that one or not. That's right. God says the new one. And this is how I know God says the new one. Because I literally, up until 11.30 last night, was like, God, I have no idea. I know I have two sermons. I don't know which one you want me to preach. So is the one that I'm about to preach for today? Or is it for another time? And you can ask my mom. We stayed up here for Family Promise. And I literally was like, I have no idea. No idea. But this morning, our technology is is fighting me this morning. So hold on. I'm going to kick it. How many of you would love to see me kick myself in the face to hit this microphone? <laughs> uh, this morning I went to grab a cup of coffee. I woke up 6 o'clock to clean up for Family Promise. And then I went back home and changed clothes. And then I stopped at Market Street and got myself a nice Starbucks. And on the news, Fox News, there was four faith leaders i don't know one was a rabbi one was a probably a catholic priest i don't know who the other two were but they were talking about is the focus of the family declining in the states and we had four different spiritual leaders talking about the focus of the family declining and they were 
they were like listing off a bunch of statistics and, and saying like how, and I'm not trying to be prejudiced or racist, but literally Muslims and Eastern religions are literally outbreeding us. Like if you study anthropology, study of cultures, I don't know where they get this number from, but for a culture to perpetuate itself, you have to have 2.5 kids or more. How do you have a half a kid? I don't know. 2.5 is the number though. So if you just want to hit the minimum, figure that one out. But you got to have 2.5 kids. Now, we as Americans have developed this mindset about children that they cost a lot of money. And they do. I don't have one. So I still have change in my pocket. But they cost a lot of money. Whereas Eastern cultures, two things. Number one, you're born into the faith. You're born a Muslim. You don't convert. Like there's no age of consciousness or something where you can join Christianity. You know, like in Christianity, you can't piggyback off your grandmother's faith. Your parents can't save you with their faith. Like you've got to come to a personal decision to believe in Jesus. Whereas other Eastern cultures, they don't. That's not the situation. That's not the case. And so refugees and immigrants are moving in. And and I'm, again, I'm not being prejudiced. I just think that Jesus is the way, the only way. And I want to make sure that that truth reigns wherever I live. Amen? So family values are switching. I'm getting a lot of feedback, Bubba. Bring me down. Family values are switching. And here at this church, I don't know if some of you have seen, but if you walk into our foyer right before you get your coffee and your donuts on the wall, is a list of five values we hold at this church. And the number one is family. Everybody is valuable and everybody belongs. That's our core value of this church. This is what your leaders, John and Ashley, came up with after praying that this is our number one thing we're after, is family. And as I look at the Word of God, and I look at our church, there's a disconnect. Something that's happening in here is not happening with us. Is anybody else tracking with me on this? Like you're, you're feeling the burden from God as you read scriptures. You feel like there's more he's calling you to. You're looking at Acts and all the things that are happening. And then you look at what we are doing. And you're like, something's not lining up. And here's, here's what I'm not preaching this morning. And this is why I didn't want to preach this message because John and Ashley weren't here. And I don't want to, this is not a bash living way session at all. Okay, this is not a bash our leadership. Listen, if you got a little list of grievances, you can just fold them back up, all your complaints and your preferences, and put them back in your pocket because we're not talking about that this morning. Okay, that, we want to hear you. We want to hear what you're going through and what you think. We value you and you belong. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I am talking about is, is this question that came up this week of what is church? And I've asked a lot of people throughout the week and, and in my studies and I've looked up pastors to preach about this and just what is church? And I'm not, again, not the organization. I'm not talking about staff and accounting and programs. 
What is church? Not, not a rhetorical question. What is church? Us. The people. The people. I'm talking about the people. Okay? Let me reiterate that just so we're all 100% clear. I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about staff. I'm not talking about sound systems. I'm not talking about children's ministry, youth ministry, adult ministry, widow's ministry, family promise, take the city, our mission trips. When I ask the question, what is church? I'm talking about the people, the body. Okay? Okay? So I'm hopefully, and I know you're like, you're beating a dead horse here. I'm just making sure you guys are hearing me. Crystally clear that we're talking about the people this morning. All right? So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm not going to throw them up on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath your chair in front of you or a chair in front of you. Or bust out your phones. You get Wi-Fi signal in here maybe or, or some internet. You can download a Bible app real fast. Open those dusty old books and turn to Acts chapter 2. Verse 42. If we're going to talk about the church, we've got to go back to when the church began, right? It's simple. And so let me, let me say this. Before we really get into this, I am going to try to talk plainly and as simple as possible from my heart and your heart. Because this is something that God's burdened me with, but I don't know if I'm resonating with it yet. Okay, so I'm not going to be eloquent. I'm just going to speak to you from my heart and what God's teaching me. And so Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we're going to read all the way to 47. It says, all believers devoted themselves to the apostle teachings, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now stop right there before we go on. I want you to see there is four things in this one scripture that will unlock the rest of these scriptures that we're going to read. If we can find how, how to live these four things in our life as a body of Christ, it will unlock this. In first, starting in 43, a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Stop. My older generation, I literally heard somebody tell me this this week as I asked this question. Tell me, is there a reverence in church anymore like I mean when we come in to the worship service is there a reverence I'm looking at all our our leaders in here our older people and they're like no there's something we're missing in the younger generations we've lost this deep sense of awe about church and you're, you're saying I wish that would be would come back right we need some reverence. We need some fear of the Lord. We need some honoring Him in His time of community worship, right? We need some reverence. And so, look, 43 and 47, this is what we want church to look like. There's four to-dos or, or values up there in 42 
that we have to obtain in order to live this out. So let's continue on in verse 44. Oh, before we move on, verse 43 also says this, many miraculous signs and wonders. I know for myself and for many other people in this church, you want to see miracles. You don't want regular organization, program, social club. You want Christianity in its fullness. You want to walk in the presence of God with the awe of God, the the fear of God on your life and miracles to happen and signs and wonders to surround you, right? That's what we want as a church, as people of God. We are after him and his works on, in heaven as on earth, right? Whatever that saying is, that's what we're after. Continue on verse 44. It says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. 45, they sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. This is that generosity, that, that spirit of, I got your back, and you got my back. You talk to anybody in the, that's in the military or in, in some sort of combat, police force, firefighters, they tell you that they don't find the camaraderie, the brotherhood, the, the security in the church like they do in those forces. Because they literally know that I'll die for that guy, and he'll die for me. Like, that's the mindset in military things. And they they can't find that in the body of Christ. You see what I'm I'm pointing at right there? There's there's a there's a lack of, hey man, whatever you need, I lay down my life for you. Whatever you need, I got you. Every time, without a doubt. I'm your shield bearer is an old Roman term that I would literally hold up my shield so that you wouldn't get stabbed. There's this, everything I've got is yours mentality in the first church, right? That's another thing we're after. We want that community, right? Am I I speaking to the desires of our heart and what church would be for us personally? In the struggles, we want to know that we have friends and family and a, and a pastor and a youth pastor that will come to us and do as much as they possibly can for us. I'm not saying you have to be selfish in your endeavor of church, but I'm saying there is needs at times and there is resources that need to be freely given at times. Continue on. 46. They worship together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Stop right there, 46. Worship with remembering Jesus. Literal breaking bread together to say, let's you and I remember what God has done for us and let's praise Him for that. Is that not something else we want to see in the church? That's, I, I believe it is. I believe this is a beautiful picture of what church really is. 47. And all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now I love one lady I was talking to. Sweet lady. 
She said this. She said, I wish I would come in church sometimes and it wouldn't be so dreary. Like, man, where is the joy of the Lord? Like, where is, I'm excited to see you this morning. You know, I just wish there was like a love and, and an excitement to get together communally and worship our father because he's good and he does good things for us and he has blessed us and so when we get together and we worship we praise him with joy like come on like that's what we want is that not something we want for church it is for me i don't want to come in here and go woe is me god i'm back whoo this week was tough if I could just get some soaking music going on for like 45 minutes, I just want to sit with my word and read and it'd be great. I just need to like rest in his presence. That's what Saturdays are for, yo. Sundays are for praising. Come on. Going to get me preaching up here. Like I'm in the hood. Somebody testify up in this place. Come on. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, man, going to give me the giggles, Lord. And each day, listen, this is the biggest one for me. It it hits my heart so hard. At the end of 47, you read right there, it says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Come on. I know it's a weekend holiday, but we got some empty chairs in here. Some of our regulars are out, and that's okay. But there's some people that need to be added to this family. So what is church? I don't want to put this down. What is church? I mean, I'm, I'm really mulling over this because, like, again, I know I'm in leadership here. Wherever that falls in authority spectrum, it doesn't really matter. I know I have a, a purpose to be here for us. And so my heart is burning of saying, God, what what is church? It's about the people. If you were here last week, you heard me talk about people matter. People matter. That's that's the, my life motto. If I ever had one, it's people matter. That's that's all that really matters in life is people. And if we know the church is about the people but how does that change how we come in and sit down because are we watching a movie no stop it are we here for the show I don't want to get ahead of myself and I'm, and I'm about to but listen just come out of the trance of listening to Pastor Poe here speak and realize there's about, what, 60 people in here, give or take, 50, 25, I don't know. And every one of you is listening to my gift of being able to, to preach the word. We are operating right now as the church, we are operating out of 2%, maybe 1% of the gifts and the blessings and the talents that sit in this room. And we do it 52 Sundays of it every year. 
We got one worship leader. And if, if that anointed worship leader doesn't get up and really blast that song out, I can't really get into worship. Operating out of one person's gift as a body of Christ. That's not effective. I heard somebody tell me that, or I was listening to a pastor. He's a famous pastor, Francis Chan. Check him out. Love his, what he's doing today. Love, I've always loved what he does. But he talks about when he first started his church in his home with 30 people. And so he had like 30 salesmen, essentially. And they went and sold to 10 people. And so their little church grew from 30 to 300 real fast. And he's like, that's good right there. Those little 300 people continue to sell to 10 people. And they grew from 300 to 3,000. Now he's like, I'm the man, you know. I got this thing down. Then he hit 4,000. And those 4,000 people would get 100 people and line them up on the stage and celebrate that they have 100 new people coming to their church. And he's like, if I was a business owner, I would fire me. Because when I had 30, we were producing 100% or 300%. I don't know the math. Come on, business people, help me out. You know what I'm saying? They were producing. And they continued until they got so big that they celebrated 100 people from 4,000. That's terrible sales. Your business just closed. There are 4,000 people. This is Francis Chan's message. I'm sorry. But 4,000 people, $6 million a month to run that church for 100 people. It's just not good. You know what I'm saying? When you had 300 getting 3,000 and it was multiplying like that. And so he, he's going into a journey and this is where I've I'm, I'm been motivated a lot. So if we look at this passage... When we look at 42, we know there's four things. Again, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing of the meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, there is a key that unlocks that right there so that 43 through 47 comes alive in our midst. We need a key to unlock those four things in our hearts so we see signs and wonders, so we have a reverent spirit, so that we are generous, so that the Lord does add to our numbers daily. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. It's after Corinthians. God's electric power, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, right? God's electric power company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. And literally Paul's saying like almost the same thing I'm saying this morning. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? So he's, he's basically saying like, what's the purpose? What's the benefit of this thing? And then he goes into this. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Then you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that, a, that at that name every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The key to unlock the potential of the church is said multiple times throughout the Bible, and this is just one of the locations. But it's this. Then in verse 2, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another. Loving one another. Listen, John thirteen thirty five. John thirteen thirty five says, And by this they will know that you are my disciples. By the love you have for each other. Just rest right there for a second. All that we want to see church be. The mission of God. Hinges. Is dependent. On love. It's on love. This is a famous, famous passage, and I love it. 1 Corinthians thirteen four says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. It is always hopeful, endures through every circumstances. Later on in that passage at 13, it says, These three things will last forever faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Now we're going to come back to that section of Scripture here in a moment. But I want you to see something back in Acts chapter 2. If you need to flip there, you can. If not, just listen. Back in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, All believers devoted themselves to those four things. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing of meals, and remembering Jesus in the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Devoted is that key word. Love is the commitment. They devoted each other to each other in fellowship. They unified their mind and their purpose with the apostles' teaching. And we are so blessed post-Christ that we can unify and be on the same page 
with Genesis to Revelation, the mission of God is reconciling all of creation back unto himself. That's the mission. And here's the deal. You can't understand mission. You can't understand devotion or love until you get to church. And you can't really understand church, the people, the devotion to each other, unless you understand family. And listen, a lot of us, this is where identity comes in. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna break it down one more step to the individual because I don't, I think we struggle with identity and who we are because some of us have broken paradigms of family. Some of you came from horrendous, horrendous families that there was no Christ consciousness or Christian worldview in that, in that family. There was no unconditional love. And they wounded you and hurt you. And so when you come into this family, you bring that with you. And when we ask for devotion, when we ask for family and love, there's some emotional wounds there. Some of you, it wasn't that disastrous. Maybe you just came from a broken home, like me, where I grew up and I really thought I had a great childhood. It wasn't until I was older that I realized how messed up I was from our childhood, from my childhood. But, I mean, I had a Game Boy. I had a bicycle. I played outside all the time. I got to play peewee football. Like, I was really blessed. I never knew the money struggles or the other situations going on in our family. And so... I deal with it more now than I did as a kid. You know, my dad was around. I love him. But I was having, the other night I came home and you can ask my, my wife, I came home in a funk, a, a, a nasty funk. And I didn't want to talk. And I didn't want to deal with anything. And I was upset. And here we are trying to go to bed and I still haven't really talked to her. I'm all hiding and pulling away. So I finally got up and I went outside and, you know, we had started talking about my dad a little bit. And and I just went out there and I released my dad and everything that was messed up in here. I was like, you know what, I'm, like, I'm 26. I got to move on. Like, my father, rep, may rest in peace, like, there's nothing he can do anymore. So I got to, I got to, I can't keep blaming him for everything that goes wrong in my life. I got to take ownership and I got to own it. So I just released my dad. And I, I released the expectations that I placed on everything. And I released myself to not be a product of my upbringing. I released myself from the the expectations my current family has on me. And I just said, John, be free in who you are. And then there's another group of you that, that when you think about family, you come from a really good family. Beautiful parents who love the Lord and have raised you up in it. And they've taught you the way you should go. And so it's it can be easier for you to come and, and do family with us. But listen... We are all people 
So either way on this end of the spectrum or over here on this end of the spectrum, we all got messed up. We all got problems. We all don't know who we are because we don't understand family. And I believe 100% with all that I am, there's a, a divine purpose and why God calls himself Father. Listen, because when I think, what is church? Three questions come to my mind. Three. Who is he? Who am I to him? And where do I fit in with them? Who is God? Who am I to him? And where do I fit in with them? Those are the three questions. And so if you are struggling with family, listen, there might be some some father wounds or mother wounds or whatever that you're really going to need to work through today and we want to give you an opportunity for that. But you don't know how to devote until you know that he is faithful and devoted to you. God said, I am your father. When he made covenant with Moses, Jesus, everything, this is powerful. When he made covenant, his promise was, I will be your God And you will be my people. I'm going to be dad. And you're going to be my children. See, me and my mother. She's my, (laughs) just a little pause there to make sure I'm safe. She ain't got no flip-flops or nothing like that. (laughs) (laughs) Me and my mother. Listen, she's my hero. She's the strongest woman I know. But I have sat across the table from that strength. And tried to hold my own in an argument. <laughs> we won't go there about how that worked out, okay? Still got a dent in the back of my head. But listen, we have literally yelled at each other. But never, ever in one second of that fight did I think my mother is not devoted to me or doesn't love me. And never, ever did I question my own love and devotion to my mother. Or my brothers when I fought, fight with them. Never, ever do I question family. Why? Because there's blood that connects us. There is a blood tie there that I can't break. No matter how mad I get or how long it's been since I talked to them. Blood unifies us. And here's the deal. You're saying, well, what about your spouse? Because I can get pretty mad at my spouse. You know what I'm saying? Listen, for those who are mature in this room, you know that God created marriage. And you know that he designed it, that on the night you consummate that marriage, there is blood that is shed for that covenant. So blood unifies you to your spouse. To your family, there's blood. To your, your spouse, there's blood. And to your church, do you know that there's blood? Jesus shed his blood so that you and I become family. So that no matter how much I disagree with you, or fight with you, or want to change the carpet, or blah, 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 whatever, 
Blood unifies us. And it says, I got your back, you got my back, because he's got our back. Period. There ain't no separating this. I'm devoted to you. We know what we're to do. We know that we're supposed to do this together. And I'm going to remember Jesus with you. And I'm going to remind you of Jesus and everything he's ever done in your life. And I'm going to praise him for bringing us out of Egypt. And I'm going to praise him for setting himself up as an example for us to walk this thing out. Because, And I'm going to pray. Blood covers us. And it makes us family. And so, here's the deal. We know that He is our Father. That's who He is. Because when you come in Christ, He says, I will be your God. I will be your dad. The faithful one. The promise keeper. The author and finisher of your faith. And because of Jesus, we know that you are perfect and holy without fault in his eyes, called as a son and daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are because of who he is to you. So where do I fit in to this with them? You go over to Corinthians chapter 12. I don't know how much I'm going to read on this, but there's a lot. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to go back to that idea of what they're talking about here. Listen, if the church, which literally means in the Greek, it means the called out one. It means an assembly of people. And did you know when Paul was writing to, let's say, the book of Ephesians, when he was writing to the, the church of Ephesus, he wasn't talking about a building he was talking about the, the believers in that city. And they would meet sometimes at the building. Oh, this is good too. Good reminder, Lord. Listen, I'm going to set you free from some bondage right now. That you can't get around this idea of the church being the people. In the Old Testament, when they came out of Egypt, Moses set up the law, right? It's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, or sorry, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In Hebrew, it's called the Torah. In Greek, it's called the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of law. If you don't understand those and what's happening in those five books, you're going to struggle, okay? So go back and reread those. The next book is Joshua. It's the taking of the land, right? Moses sets up a system, and in that system, there exists this thing called the tabernacle. And it would be torn down and set up everywhere they went. And in the middle of the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. It was known as the most holy of holies, right? And we know from the Egyptian story, if you don't, I'm sorry, get with me later. I'll give you a Bible lesson. The Egyptian story at the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn. And God, because they put blood on the door, covered themselves in blood. It's everywhere. They pass over that house so nobody would die they would have life it's the gospel love it so we do this thing called passover and once a year this man called the high priest would go into the holy of holies and he'd offer a sacrifice that would cover the sin okay you getting with me you tracking everybody's on the same page now we're talking about the tabernacle 
okay? This traveled with them for 40 years until they took the promised land with Joshua. And then after the judges, they demanded a king. And so Saul came on the scene and he became the first king, but he didn't do what the Lord asked him to do. So he usurped him or took him off the throne and put David. And when David came on the scene, one of the things he started but didn't finish was the temple, okay? Then his son Solomon came on the scene and finished the temple. Now this was a permanent, geographical, one location where the Holy of Holies was and where the Ark of the Covenant was. And they would continue to celebrate Passover. When Jesus comes on the scene, we know that his ministry was for three years. Why? Because three Passovers happened in the Gospels. So we know he attended three different Passovers and it was the last Passover where Jesus was crucified for our transgressions. He's put to death on the cross. And when he died, did you know that the veil tore and the most holy of holies was open? So in our minds... Oh, and then he resurrected, right? We can't forget about that. That's the power of the gospel. Like, if he was still dead, we wouldn't be here. He was resurrected. And then we go into the book of Acts, which is right after the gospels. And this thing happens, which we're reading about in Acts chapter 2, and it's called the Day of Pentecost. And literally, there's people, an assembly of people, a, a, the called out ones, the people that walked with Jesus, they're hanging out in this room praying, one of the four elements of church, right? Praying to God, and this thing happens where the Holy Spirit just... Never before was God omnipresent in the sense that we understand him now. No Jewish paradigm for that. He was a geographical point where you went to him to encounter him. Jesus tore it and now God comes to us and he lives in us and he envelops us and he pursues us and the father's heart says, I'm coming after my kids. But we get stuck because of the organization sometimes where we come back to a temple mentality of we can only experience God when we come to this place. And if we think about it, we are the church. So wherever we get together, church is happening. I can be in my room by myself and know that the fullness of the most holy of holies the thing that would kill people if I walked in there with sin is in there with me. God himself is wrapped in me. And I don't have to fear death. Why? Because Jesus' blood covers it. So we need to switch our mind. It's, it's not a geographical location anymore. He's with us. He tells Joshua, I will be with you everywhere you go. And he tells us the same thing. I will be your father, you will be my kids, and I will never leave you. Understand that family dynamic right there. Your dad is for you at all times. When you walk into work, he's right there. When you walk into danger, he's right there. When you go to share the gospel with somebody and you're afraid, he's right there. And he makes us brothers and sisters.
Like I said, our core value here is family. And we don't want to operate out of 2% of this body. Each of you is gifted. Each of you is called. Each of you has things that I don't, or John and Ashley don't, or Lisa doesn't. And we can no longer depend on the talents of a few hoping that we'll see the church that's in Acts 43, or chapter 2, 43 through 47. You guys, with us, like this body, we have to be released into these things right here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, it says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some of us are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members. members, So that all the members care for each other. If one suffers, they all suffer. If one succeeds... They all succeed. And here's the cool thing. Jesus Christ is the head of a body. And sometimes this member is over here doing its own thing. And this other member down here is over here doing its own thing. And this one's over here doing its own thing. But when we submit, It all comes under the authority of the head. And literally, we can't just be a part of the body and flail around. If we're submitted to Christ, we're in this. So here's what I want to leave you with. I just wanted to encourage you that you have a place, you are valuable, and you belong. And I know some of you are guests. Some of you, this isn't your home church. But I want you to use us just for a moment as a symbol of your church back home or wherever you go. And I want you to think, okay, I know who he is. 
And I know who I am now. And I'm praying that God would show me where I fit in. But I need a heart check. Am I devoted to these people? These people. Not the organization, not the programs, not the band, not the speaker, the people. Because people matter. And listen, when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, we will see a reverence come upon us and awe. We will see signs and wonders be released like we never have. We will watch each other take care of one another. And people will walk in the store and they will say, surely God is among them because they love one another. They must be Christians. We will watch ourselves worship and praise God. And we will watch numbers be added to our midst daily. They will know you by your love for one another. And so in this family, I motion as your little brother or older brother that we devote ourselves to one another. Because when we understand family and the blood that unites us, we understand church. And when we understand church, we understand his mission. And we get on mission. And we do what he's called us to do. And everybody's operating out of their strengths and their giftings. And we don't come to watch the movie. We come to make history. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for speaking today. I want to thank you for for who you are in me, who I am in you, and how I fit into this family. God, and I want to speak to the hearts of the people in this room who don't know how they fit in. And they're struggling to devote themselves to the community, to the fellowship, to the gathering. And so, Lord, I ask that you would reveal first yourself in your unconditional love to them. That they don't need to be more or do more than what they already are. They don't need to obtain some special knowledge or some special skills in order to make a difference. But God, who they are is enough because you say so and you love them. Let them understand who they are, God. Open their eyes to the giftings they already possess. And Father, break those chains off of fear and doubt and inadequacy and release the body of Christ to do what only it can do. Father, for those who don't understand family and they have wounds there, God, God, would you bring healing to that? Would you show them where you were in that situation? 
Would you reveal the lies that they're believing about their childhood and their past or about their parents? Would you tell them the truth? Would you allow them to forgive and release those memories and those hearts and those scars? God, would you clothe them with righteousness? And Father, would you help leadership of every church, of every local gathering, release the entire body to do the ministry of Jesus? Father, let us not bottleneck this thing by depending on one person. Let's depend on you, God. Help us trust you in every situation so that family would be healed, so that families would be healed in this nation, God. Family values, Christian values would be on the rise. Father, would you devote our hearts to one another like iron sharpens iron, God, that we would just commit to love both with the good and the bad. Because family's messy sometimes, but we don't doubt the love we have for one another. God, we love you. Give you all the thanks. All the praise, all the glory, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for being here this morning. Uh, if you'd like to help us take care of some laundry, we have baskets right out, or bags right out here that you can grab and wash for our family promise. We just finished hosting today.